Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a February 14th, 2023 edition of the MSP Initiative Live. Uh, just some general housekeeping, uh, and then we'll get into, uh, you know, wherever the call takes us, right? So mspinitiative.com, that's where you'll find this session and every other session we've ever recorded uh, under sessions. So uh, feel free to go back and check that out in podcast and video format. We have our MSP community block party. Stay tuned. We have not announced the dates and locations for 2023 yet. They're in the planning stages. And trust me, we uh, we will definitely get uh, some of them into uh, the calendar for sure. Then we have the MSP community minds. Uh, parked the bus last year uh, from last year and the year before. And we're going into two in-person hotel style events, two days. Uh, you know, a piece, one in Dallas, May 8th and 9th, one in Denver, August 14th and 15th. Um, we already have some, uh, you know, kind of experts that we're bringing in into more of a workshop style event, meaning that we don't want to just present at you and have you take notes and then actually do nothing with it. We want you to walk out with like actual tangible results. Uh, and the best example of that, I keep on using my buddy, Mr. Gross, who Candidly jumped in on the last show uh, and basically like, it's like, hey, not just, hey, this is what should be in your agreements. Bring your agreement along, for example. Let's see what's missing. That kind of thing, more of a hands-on type approach. Lastly is our community offers. Um, we have three right now. More are coming, but effectively, these are just uh, companies in the community that threw some special offers out there. And uh, here we are. So there it is, you know, the housekeeping, if you would. And uh, here we are two days after the Super Bowl. And uh, yep, <clears throat> welcome to <laughs> MSP Initiative uh, Live. Our special guest today, Jason from Mission Control joins us. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great. Happy Valentine's Day to you, by the way. Ah, uh, yes. I, I, I lost Valentine's Day in the calendar because I was so fixated on the Super Bowl. So yes, happy Valentine's Day. You got the right color. Although the Chiefs won, and I'm an Eagles fan, so red's on my blacklist at the moment, but that's okay. I can go change, but I guess you weren't happy with that fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I would say that between the $800,000 field that apparently took two years to grow, um, being absolutely an ice skating ring, uh, rink, and um, you call the game for three and a half quarters one way, and then all of a sudden you change – and you decide to flip the other way at the end, uh, I would say that that wasn't, uh, that wasn't good for the NFL as a whole. That wasn't good for the people watching the game. You know, like they make Disney sports movies on the end of games, right? Like they work backwards from those moments. Uh, I wouldn't end a game like that, but I digress. I'm just one man. And, and here's another man, Mr. Keith Nelson, which I'm sure has plenty Plenty to say. Go ahead, Keith. Let me let me give you a little bit of an opportunity to just put it all out there. Go ahead, my friend. I think you argue the wrong point. It okay. was a penalty. Uh, no hey, listen, I'm not saying penalty or no penalty. I'm saying the consistency that's, of how you call the game. That's it's right. And so you're going like either way, because the refs have been horrific this year and the commissioner is on drugs thinking it's the best year of officiating ever. Um, you have this disconnect and that had been going on all game. I could list three other times 
Uh, there were helmet to helmet hits that didn't get called. There were hits. I'm, I'm, uh, we go on all that, but just saying, I could list three times earlier in the game when that defensive back held that receiver. And yeah. I think it's important for referees to call that at the beginning of the game to establish how they're going to call the game and kind of set the parameters of officiating. I agree. It's it's about consistency, right? I mean, the best the best way I think it was said so far, and and trust me, I'm still behind on all of the post game commentary, and I actually didn't watch the TV version of the Super Bowl because I was there. Uh, but um, the best way it was explained to me was if you're driving five miles over the speed limit, is it technically something you can get pulled over and cited for? Yes. Should they? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you need to be consistent with how you with how you do things. And there is a lot of inconsistency. Now we but know a bad he, form to quote LeBron, whose entire game is around trying to draw a foul to get to extend a game. And had LeBron been the receiver held, he'd still be flopping on the field. Well, but that's the point. Like that receiver had been calling for flags all game long and that play, he didn't even call it. He didn't even complain. So anyway, LeBron was there. He, uh, he stirred up the crowd. I don't know if you saw the video clip, but I have it on my phone where he basically like crowns himself, you know, in, in the stadium. And I was like, well, that's a little bold, but okay. Um, Not a LeBron fan, but that's, you know, that's just my own personal preference. I know you're. I'd I'd rather you explain to me the short yardage play. Which one? The one that the Eagles run consistently. And how's that not a chop block? Well, the apparently the rules committee of the NFL, and again, maybe I should switch into uh, maybe I should as a side hustle be a sports commentator reporter guy. But um, the the rules committee of, of the NFL is meeting, I think, in the next week or two, and this is one of the uh, topics that have been brought up for discussion on uh, that specific play. Right. So as of right now, it is it is a legal play, but they can make it an illegal play. Uh, I I think it's an uncalled illegal play. I'm not talking about the pushing. That was clearly allowed by the rules committee. But in basic NFL rules that have never changed, you cannot engage an inside defensive lineman below the waist and have any exterior lineman hit him above the waist. That is called a chop block. I haven't called. They haven't called it all year. So again, well, we can talk also about last year. The NFL gave the Rams a Super Bowl because they built a new stadium. That's right. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I agree with you there. How did in the modern NFL era, no team play in their own building, let alone, you know, not just win it, but play in their own building. And then in two years, back to back, it happened twice. And, and Horrible calls in the playoffs that gave the Rams a game and then in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And so um, I really think what the NFL should personally, I think NFL officiating has declined since they made them full time and gave them a raise. And if you're going to be doing a job, you should be reviewed. And I don't see a good peer review and the and the analysts they have on TV are inconsistent as well. There should be constant review all the time. And, you know, what's a catch? That, that, that you know, I, I, I've been looking and I still don't have a, defi- a definitive answer on what a catch. On today's standards and the standards in effect at the time, Des caught it, period. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I don't need to be any of the refereeing positions that have to ref a final or, you know, a Stanley Cup game seven or any major deciding, like, that's a tough spot to be in. But I think in all sports, the refs do need constant review. And, and I think it's declined in almost all sports over the last few years, just because right. they're getting more technical. There's more technicality. Yeah. But, but, but hold on, not to, not to go Tim Donaghy on you, but sports betting has become more widely you know, allowed in, in, in the greater North American region here. You literally here in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, they let it take your phone out. They give you $500 credit to start. I haven't even, I've never done, I'm not a big sports betting guy. I'll make individual bets just because I like to bother people, but that's just for fun. I'm talking about the actual sports books. You don't even have to walk into a place anymore. It's all electronic. So I don't know. seems interesting. I don't want to be one of those crazy conspiracy theory guys, but I will tell you that uh, it just seems, it seems a little out of place. That's all. Someone's been telling you all year and you ignored them that the Russians have taken over officiating. And you caught me on that. <laughs> fair and balanced commentary from one Keith Nelson. Yes, absolutely, one thousand percent. I think my, I think I, we were robbed from a great ending of game. Uh, I, as an Eagles fan, I don't think we had a, you know, a fair, a fair result there. I'm not saying we would have won it or, or, or not, but I would have liked to have seen, you know, the sub two minute attempt. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's the hero play that you, you know. You always want to see what happens when, you know, person that, you know, with the last person the ball in their hands does, but I digress. It was the continuation of the Fox curse. What's the Fox curse? Every time every Fox analyst picks one team in yeah. a playoff or Super yeah. Bowl, they lose. And Harry um, Bradshaw even said that because he picked last. He goes, I hate to curse the Eagles. And if you watch the replay of the pregame show, and it's it's, and it also broke the win the toss curse. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of an interesting game in in a lot of ways. And you're you know the only the only credit I'll give Kansas City is Andy Reid makes some damn good adjustments. And since my team sucks at adjustments, I'm overly jealous. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. You got, how do you hold the Eagles to zero sacks? Because the people who would sack you can't actually plant their foot and turn because the gra- the field is so bad. They're slipping as they're trying to actually move forward. Oh, and some, but some of it's blocking schemes and play calling, and not and and they actually just came out home. with it. They said that the Eagles players slipped thirty eight percent of the plays. And they changed their cleats too, and, the, and Kansas City didn't, which I thought was unusual. I saw I saw the Eagles tripping. Uh, hold on, it, hold on, not to go even further into conspiracy theories. The sod father, the guy who has been like literally doing all the growing of NFL fields for the last I don't know forever. Kansas City fan, season tickets, families had season tickets the whole time, and uh, he retired right after the game. And having a halftime show on a on a field is just stupid from the beginning yeah i mean that's like if you especially when the field was already in question well the half the halftime show is already a little little interesting well i'm not even talking about the context i'm, I'm going like it just it's happened at, it happened at <laughs> it passed it's happened at so many stadiums where the halftime show goes too long and the divot repair guys which is one way to get a ticket to a super bowl by the way a friend of mine does it but you have to watch from the divot uh, repair guy there's act, those are actually volunteers. 
and they watch the games from the tunnels and you see them all run out. You saw them after they hauling things off, trying to fix the field, but you can't. I, you know, I, it's either a football game or a rock concert. But the billion billion dollar weekend and they can't get the field right. Okay. Well, that just goes to show you there's no DR strategy for a bad field. What do you do? Cancel the game? Don't think that's gonna happen, but I digress. Um super I think he made great, you know, halftime adjustments. You I know he's not your favorite, but they were pretty remarkable. He yeah. did some really good things at halftime. For, for 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 a guy that couldn't do that here for 14 years and had back clock management and you know, you know why you guys oh. have cheese you guys have cheesesteaks he likes double cheeseburgers <laughs> you were feeding him wrong <laughs> i thought you were going to say barbecue but okay gotcha no he says he's a cheeseburger guy that's his oh, big well, we know we i mean you know he had some he had some very interesting press conferences here in philadelphia where he talked about sweet and sour pork and ham sandwiches and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, he definitely likes food. We know that. Uh, anyway, getting, getting back to technology as we, we went on a little bit of a rant there. Sorry guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can see the yeah. in your eyes today. So. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be, uh, you know, a little bit calm about the situation. Anyway, uh, Jason, welcome to the show. I think it's your first time you've been on. So uh, usually when we do this, I like to get, let people like, give us a little bit of like, you know, walk down, you know, kind of memory lane. How did you get into technology? Uh, and, you know, a little bit of background on yourself and then, you know, we can figure out what your company does and why it's worth paying attention to. Yeah, sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me. So uh, just short version, I guess we started off as an MSP. Uh, that was the MSP life that I lived anyway. It was actually a break fix type of shop. You're talking like many years ago. Uh, we ran from 2003 to 2010 as a break-fix operation, just doing hourly work, lots of hours, stuff like that. Didn't really go anywhere. We moved to managed services in 2010. And probably from 2010 for the next few years, we were that very typical MSP. We're small, one, two, three, four, five guys as it was growing. And we were using all the same tools that MSPs use today. A PSA, we need an RMM, we need a documentation platform, all that stuff. And for us, because of the way we wanted to grow and scale our company, and we had some clients that needed 24-7 support as well, we didn't have that in-house, so we decided to outsource that to the various companies that were out there. And, and you know, the, the landscape really hasn't changed terribly much. There's been some M&A, but we used some of the same names you'd know today as an outsourced knock and outsourced help desk provider. Um, we tried one, one for a year, didn't work out so well, tried another one for a few months, didn't work out so well. So we tried what was available. And then eventually we simply ran out of options. We tried everyone out there. There just aren't that many companies that do knock and help desk just for MSPs. Um, so we decided to do it ourselves. And we were talking with the Autotask Corporation at the time, because so we were an Autotask uh, shop. Uh, we talked to them about any new recommendations they may have. They said they didn't have any. Um, and so, you know, we started asking the question, if we built one that was Autotask exclusive, would that be of interest to you? And conversations kind of went that way. And we actually ended up building Mission Control, which originally was just 24-7 piece of our MSP, it became an Autotask dedicated and exclusive knock and help desk company, which was awesome. Um, obviously, they had an interest in making sure that we got involved in deals where they would have otherwise lost it for Autotask partners, and we were growing our knock and help desk business. Um, that went for about two years until Datto came along and acquired Autotask, and that became a much tougher discussion because now we wanted to stay in the fold, but Dado's this monster at the time. 
And uh, we were able to go through all the due diligence and everything. And we ended up becoming Datto's vendor select and dedicated and exclusive knock and help desk company, which was a dream for us. Again, growing everything. Um, Datto goes public, so they had to change their approach. And then most recently, Kaseya acquires Datto and we're now back in with Kaseya's group. So the whole idea really is that we're um, coming from that MSP background, um, everything that we do in terms of decisions we make or how we service our partners is all coming from that MSP experience. Like even just to hire a senior level technician, we won't hire a senior level tech unless they worked for an MSP at some point in their career, just because we want them to have that mindset and thought process. So that's kind of where we come from and a little bit about where we are today in the MSP experience. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So let me, let me do, throw out some pretty widely asked questions here because you know they always come up i'm sure you get them all the time by the way we never practice this ahead of time guys this is all pretty candid so you know just bear with me so outsourcing the front lines right you know help desk you know especially because that's customer facing i think knock you know if it's not customer facing and the customer doesn't realize what's happening underneath the scenes really doesn't matter right as long as the work's getting done they don't really care how as long as like you know it's not being done incorrectly so i think that's a little bit different right but when you're outsourcing like the front lines right like you know like your customers actually communicating with somebody in real time um if it you know that's where things could maybe fall off the rails to some degree right so i think part of the problem that i've experienced personally in the past not with mission control, just saying generally, you know, because there's a lot of companies out there that do this is, you know, whatever the information transfer is between an MSP and somebody they're outsourcing the front lines to for help desk seems to sometimes not go well. And then all of a sudden, what could turn to what should be something that takes minutes, let me give you something simple, right? Somebody calls in and their uh, Office 365 password's not working, need to have it reset should be a pretty simple thing, right? Five minutes, right? In and out, no big deal. When that turns into 25 minutes, you know, all of a sudden your end customer gets frustrated, you know, like now they're salty that it's something that they expect to take a very short amount of time is just dragging. Like all of a sudden there's information being looked up and then like that creates potentially a bad experience. I know I created a very simple idea here, but that's one scenario. And then another scenario is, just a simple identification of the customer calling in, right? Like you're obviously ha- like a, if if you have a lot of MSPs that are outsourcing help desk to somebody like you and their end customers obviously quantify underneath of them, like that beginning part of every call where it's like, well, who are you? And do I have enough information to actually field the call? And then like, I'm going to give you one last thing and then I'll let you kind of reply. But, you know, when things go through, you know, the help desk, usually they're trying to handle, you know, I would say generally like the easier requests, let's call it level ones type things, right? And when those things get escalated back to the MSP for whatever reason, then all of a sudden it's like, well, then <laughs> why did we even do this? So these are like the top three things that come to my mind sitting in here thinking, well, why would this work or not work? Here are three things why things don't work in this type of arrangement. What do you got for me? Okay, so there's a lot in there, but they're fantastic scenarios because they're so real, right? Um, and I kind of want to go through each one because they're different um, in terms of like how we handle it and what we're doing to improve and all those kinds of things. So let's take a password reset for Office 365 as an example. No question, 
If an MSP can do it in five minutes, we're going to do it a little bit longer because we're not living in that MSP's documentation. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only difference in that scenario. They already have it open because it's all they work with. The MSP is working within their documentation. They know their customer. We take in that ticket. We recognize it's for that MSP. Now we got to dive into their stuff and then we can do the work. Office 365 is so commonplace these days. That's really the only difference. So that would probably only take a couple of minutes. But to expand on that, there might be scenarios that still would be uh, requiring, let's say, a little more read into their documentation of things we might not be aware of that, again, the MSP inherently knows because they're servicing their clients and we service a, a greater volume, right? That it tends to be, that's usually the only difference. If it's line of business specific, maybe a different story because we haven't touched that application every day and they have, but most of it's around getting into that particular MSP set of documentation, making sure we have what we need, which takes us the extra two, three minutes and moves along. If you have experienced, good skilled technicians, that should be the only difference in that case. Okay. Sense? No, I got you. I mean, you know, it sounds all great, right? And like, if I were to talk to every MSP on the planet and say, look through your service ticketing system, hopefully you have one. Uh, hopefully there's still not people doing just email or Excel or something, but they're out there, I guess. Look through your service ticketing system and give me the top 10, 15, 20 reoccurring requests, right? Just the ebb and flow, day-to-day, -day, basic, basic, basic stuff that just pops up all day, every day. And like, you know, give somebody on the outside enough that they can just go through that on the fly. And I'm sure you could probably name five things off the top of your head, right? Office 365 password reset was like so simple and so reoccurring. It's the first thing I thought of, but it could be something simple, right? Like, hey, you know, my Outlook is is not loading or hey, you know, my computer's slow or sure. whatever, right? It could be a bunch of those. I, I think, sorry to interrupt you, but I think the examples you're giving, they're commonplace stuff. Like Microsoft Office is commonplace. Office 365, Active Directory. These days, Azure AD is commonplace. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, SharePoint stuff. All those things, if you take a look at most MSPs and their clientele, you're going to have one or two or maybe three in a customer of theirs line of business application, but the rest of it's all standard stuff. When people ask me about documentation, they ask, okay, what do I need? Do I need to have everything documented? I'm like, if you can have everything documented, that's great. But for us, we have a lot of senior level people. What we need are where to go. So like URLs or IP addresses or whatever we got to mm -hmm. get through. Credentials so we can get into those things when we get there. Mm -hmm. And the last one really is the line of business gotchas, right? The special stuff that for that industry, for that customer that we need to know these particular things because you've been doing it for years and you know the one or two things that happen to that program, we won't. But the rest of it, setting up a printer, I don't need documentation for that. I don't need documentation for password resets in Office 365. We do that every day. So again, with a good group of skilled technicians, the only difference should be the time it takes to get into documentation and find the pieces that you're looking for. I okay, think. well, that's, that's fair. And I would say depending on who you talk to, you'll get a, a little bit different of a response based on how deep the documentation needs to go, but that that's fair. Um, so talk to me about then, how do you handle like part two of my three question kind of blitz there was, how do you actually scale this, right? Because there's a quanti quantifiable, you know, increase of the number of MSPs that you bring on and then the number of customers behind them. And if it takes too long to like get to the point where the actual work's getting done, you know, then you create this frustration point, right? Where like one, you know, you're talking to a different person every time, 
you're not familiar with these people. They're not familiar with you. Like, and then all of a sudden you're five, seven minutes, 10 minutes into a call. And, you know, at that point, somebody's just, you know, on the other side saying, well, do I need to stay on the line at this point? Like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. And so you're talking about almost user experience, right? And the user experience on help desk is everything. The, the challenge usually comes when the MSPs and user experience, when they call the MSP directly, differs from ours, right? Because then you have two different approaches. We don't want that. Um, but we don't make the MSP forward all their calls to us. It's really up to them. If they were doing us, let's say they were just using us for after hours, evenings, weekends, holidays, and they were taking the daytime stuff, that would explain that difference. But if, let's say, they were using us as overflow, so they take five calls in the day and the sixth one comes to us, you know, no matter what, there'll be a slightly different user experience. We're doing things these days like, a, well, we've been doing for a very long time, potting our group. So when we talk about pod, we want to have the same group of people servicing that MSP in their accounts, right? We want to do that for familiarity both ways. Um, we want the end users and frankly, the MSPs people to always work with the same name, same voices, same whatever. They're, you get rapport that way. And the other way too, because we don't want to constantly be retraining our people on those environments. So it's a good thing to have that both directions. So we set up pods as a way of getting familiarity. That's not an overnight thing. It takes some time, right? But the other challenge is if you're a one or two person operation, you can't go from two people to 14 people without somebody knowing about it. They're going to notice, right? So you have those kinds of, again, that end user experience, some of it's got to be told, or at least the expectation of the user has got to be set. We're even doing things now where like we're doing, we're just actually testing it right now. We're doing a beta program with um, inbound call so that we'd be able to, because imagine like this, MSP has a client, calls the MSP's number, they're forwarding it to us. We'll know it's the MSP's customer and to answer as the MSP company because we know the number is coming in on. Then the second part is, which company is it from? So we're able to pull that most of the time from the caller ID. But if they're calling from a mobile number, that doesn't work. So we're now even going into uh, digging with the integration in the PSCs to pulling the contact um, to make sure, and voice recognition. So they can even say their name, we'll find them and be able to say, hey, is this Bob? As opposed to, hi, can you, you know, what company you're calling from and can you please spell your name? We're trying to avoid that stuff. We want a good user interaction the first time. You get it maybe 90% of the time, there's gonna be some that don't, but I think that's, again, one of the integration successes we've had is now looking at a contact profile from the PSA, as long as the MSP keeps their contacts up to date, which is obviously a partner thing, Right, they got to do their part. We got to do our part. They keep their passwords up to date. They might not keep their contacts up to date. But I hear you. Well, so that's the thing, right? The MSP business owner, if they get a call from a cell phone number, they may even know that person's number because they know the person. We can't. But if they call in from that number and that number's inside that contacts PSA profile on the mobile number, I can still answer. Hey, is that Bob? Because I'll have it. Right. So stuff like that. Okay. And then, like, <clears throat> how, you know, how do you prevent? Un unnecessary escalations. So just to define this for people who haven't used an outside service like this, like an escalation is, hey, you send your call to mission control, for example, and then mission control is like, yep, I'm going to field this. And then for some reason, they can't do it. And then they literally push that back to the MSP saying, hey, we couldn't figure this out. It's, you know, we're now pushing it up back into your pile or bucket or list or queue, pick whatever word fits. So what are the most common reasons why an escalation occurs? And then like, how do you prevent like the unnecessary escalation? Let me go back to Office 365. Hey, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't reset their password. Well, that's the easiest thing on the planet. What happened? That kind of thing. 
Yeah, escalation is probably one of the most sensitive words in our niche service offering type that you'll find. Um, and, you know, I don't want to bad mouth my competition, but it's usually because of the precedent that's been set out there over the years, not by any one particular company, it's an industry problem. Because escalations, especially for those that haven't used the service before, escalations have tended to be a one-way street and they've been permanent. To George's example, they couldn't reset the Office 365 password. That ticket gets sent back to the MSP and it's the MSP's problem. Getting it back to the knock and help desk company, other than mission control, used to be a challenge. You couldn't send it back and, even, and then you'd fight with them to take it back. And so it ended up being a permanent one-way street. So what we've done, we've done a couple of things. Number one, we've changed the game with respect to escalations in the way that it's done because of the integrations with things like Teams and Slack for communication. So we're allowing real-time communication with the MSP through phone, email, text message, and now Slack and Teams. Another thing too is that the integration with PSA was massive. Because of the integration that we built, we're now able to send tickets back and forth just by using the resources of the PSA as if we were a staff member. If we can't find something in documentation, let's say, and it's something that we need to continue to, or maybe there's no password documented, we're stuck, right? So let's use the example of an Office 365 password reset is the most easy one to use. I go into documentation and the admin login to Office 365, that password isn't there. I literally can't continue. The next step is I need to follow my escalation procedure, but to us an escalation is the start of communication. So let's say it says message on Teams and Slack, and let's say they're on lunch. So I send a message, nobody responds. I send a text message, no one responds. I call, nobody answers, I leave a voicemail. And finally, I escalate the ticket. When the MSP comes back from lunch, they're gonna get my voicemail, my text message, my Slack message, team message, whatever, and they're gonna get their ticket. Their ticket is going to show a status of escalated from MC, escalated commission control. And if they click into the ticket, they'll see all my notes. All they'd have to do is add the IT Lou link or whatever they're doing for documentation, provide me a guide in the right direction, and then change the resource back to escalate to MC. That'd be the status change, sorry. And it's save and close. As soon as they do that, or even reply on Teams back to the original message and change the resource back, it's in our court again. So we've changed it now where escalation is now really a two-way communication path rather than here, it's your problem, deal with it. Okay, that's cool. Um, so then the other, the other problem, you know, that I've heard in this realm is <clears throat> that sometimes the math breaks down, right? It's, you know, like, obviously the MSP wants to be profitable. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of MSPs have a hard time scaling, right? Because maybe they can't find the right people. Maybe, you know, you know, the, you know, the hiring, you know, kind of process, you know, just as a, a revolving door, right? And then that's why they kind of reach out to somebody like a mission control who can augment, you know, their staff because they don't have enough manpower. But, you know, uh, I feel like you know, one size doesn't fit all, right? <laughs> Your size will, will, number one, affect things how the MSP was billing for their services originally, right? You know, versus what the cost of something like this looks like. So like, how does that work in terms of how flexible are the options? It's like you're teeing me up. I love it. So well, I mean, I, I mean, by the way, not pre-rehearsed, this is all coming from just conversations I've had and my own experiences and like literally how, how something like this works. Well, and, and again, your questions are coming from the MSP experience, right? So that's that's exactly where this all comes from. So there are other models out there where they, let's say, would be, let's say they do a by device model and you have to onboard all the devices at a site and they'd all have to be at the same service level. 
and they don't really do anything else. That's actually the most common that you'll see. Mm -hmm. um, so Commission Control offers services on a by device model. And we also offer services on a by time model. It's available in full pick and choose mix and match. So you can say, don't service these customers. These customers go by device. These customers go by time. You can even say in this customer of 50 computers, we don't need you to go by device because the entire customer is really only 10 or 15 really noisy people. Put the 10 or 15 noisy people on the per device because that way it's a flat fee for those really noisy users that are making 90% of the of the noise and the other users can just be a la carte by time because they'll call once a year and it makes sense to charge it by time so we can do it in a full pick and choose mix and match which is really advantageous for flexibility and an amazing amount of cost savings for the msp the cool part is because of the integration again to the psa we just tack on to whatever they've got so whatever their contracts are to their customers it'll inherit all that our time entries are in your in the MSP's own tickets. The time entries are accurate to the minute. So the billing and the reporting is all perfect. And it's the way they bill their customer. Even if they're doing by time with us and they're doing by device with their customer or vice versa, that doesn't matter. They can choose the most advantageous approach with us. And however their contracts are with their clients, it'll just do through the integration. It's perfect. Hmm. Okay. So basically it's like on a, on a customer by customer basis, they can decide what fits even on by device or by user within the customer. Like I said, if they got a customer of 50 computers and they only want to onboard 10 of those people, they can do that. Or 20 of those people, they can do that. They can decide, uh, don't service the other 30 at all or service the other 30 by time because you still want to support them and not you know, pass that back. They totally decide everything. It's not just per customer, although it is, it's per customer and within the customer, they can pick and choose mix and that. Okay, well, that's super flexible for sure. Let's get onto the topic of, Security? I mean, it's hard to avoid now. Yeah. Uh, two, two angles on this. One, how do they give you access to the systems without, you know, enforcing the same, you know, multi-factor and other restrictions, right, in order to comply with all the various pieces they need to with their docs tools and all the other stuff. I assume the PSA is like API driven, but I'll let you answer that. And then on the other side, right, like, how do you handle an end customer security situation? Because, you know, now there's socks and, you know, like all these, like, you know, outside of a knock, right. There's like a separate entity now doing security, you know, kind of operations. Does that kind of work in tandem with what you guys do? Or is that something you offer or how does that story come together? Yeah. Huge. And security is something we obviously need to take extremely seriously. I suppose there's a few pieces to it, right? So used to be, you know, we just have our calls recorded. But we need more control than that, especially when you have people, and I, I, I would hide this, the company was founded in Toronto, that's where I live. Everyone was in Toronto, but when COVID happened, it locked us down, like it locked Canada down really hard. Um, and we had no choice but to close the offices. So we expanded across Canada for people working from home, and then we expanded across the US for people working from home. And that's still the approach today is we're hiring across North America. But these people work at home. So how do you secure that? So we've got a controlled VDI environment that we have to double multi-factor authentication into just to get into it. So now we know that people are our people. From there is where they'll hop to either our password vaults or other password vaults that can both be uh, whitelisted on the IP addresses because they know where we're coming from. And they're gonna multi-factor that, which we'll have records of in our systems, which they obviously won't get access to until they're on the BDI. And all the screens are recorded and all the stuff is recorded. So by the time we're touching anything, we're triple MFA, and we're coming from restricted IPs or whitelisted only IPs. 
we're pretty good there. And again, everything's being recorded. We obviously do our spot checks. So we're trying to be as security conscious as one can be. Um, from a SOC perspective, like I'm, I'm not sure if you were talking like SOC on the SOC or SOC 2 audits and stuff like that, but like- No, no, SOC 2 audits, I mean, separate thing. I'm talking about like now all of a sudden, I would say, I mean, I, you know, I think the security people out there have a much higher percentage. You know, every time I bring it up, the percentage seems to get lower, but like of 100% of the people who are delivering IT services in MSP land, let's call it, I think it's sub 33% that have an outside vendor- uh, that does log monitoring and remediation and like actually ingesting all of the various tools and if, to make sure things are, you know, not in the middle of a problem. Uh, but then how does that play, you know, when it comes to what you do, right? Does that work side by side with you? Do, would you escalate to a vendor like that if the MSP has contracted with one or like, how does that work in the puzzle? Yeah, so um, we've got five lines of business here, and the fifth one got introduced, which is cybersecurity focused, got introduced in October of this last year. So it's very fresh for us. Um, it was an amazing announcement, just happened actually at IT Nation last year. Um, but so we do our NOC services. So when you talk about NOC, you're talking about the support for things that should never go down, right? Network appliances, servers, things like that. The help desk is the end user focused stuff, anything from SaaS applications, laptops, desktops, workstations, smartphones, tablets. We have our dispatch service. So you know, I think it's dispatch part of help desk. You answer the call, white label, and make a ticket. But that might be answering the call, making a ticket for us to do the work. But in other clients or other situations or other times of day, it might just be answer the call, make the ticket for the MSPs team. So that's where dispatch might separate. And we have our professional services, our special projects, like an exchange migration office 365 or a large rollout. In October, we came out with our crew, CRU. That's our cyber response unit. It's an integrated service that's completely focused on cybersecurity remediation because pretty well every SOC service that's out there is non-remediation, right? In your work, in your lowercase 99% of issues that are non-urgent, the SOC tool will find something. It'll go to an analyst. It'll be non-urgent. It'll create a ticket in the MSP's PSA, leaves the MSP work to do. In 1% of the time, it's super urgent. The analysts deem it urgent. They'll lock down or isolate a device call the MSP and tell them what to do. But that means 100% of the time, the MSP who doesn't want to be an MSSP has things to do on cybersecurity focused stuff. A lot of it's just IT work, but it might be a little more senior. So our crew service or cyber response unit actually extends, doesn't replace the SOC. It extends from where the SOCs leave off to provide remediation services so the MSP can do, uh, can give it to us instead of doing it themselves. Okay. So how does that work with, I mean, like, I mean, big picture, every MSP might have different tools, right? I mean, right. so, and maybe across the, the macro level, you've dealt with a lot of them, right? Just because of volume, but how do you successfully do that? I assume, you know, you've, you've had to do what others have done, which is being able to API a lot of those tools in the one place. Yeah. So, you know, we're working, we're trying to work with the best and breed SOC tools and services out there. You know, right now we're working with uh, several um, and if you're working with an integrated partner, we're all set, right? Just subscribe to the service. Otherwise, the cybersecurity stuff becomes an escalation that was out of scope, like a cabling job. It's something that we're not being asked to do, so we won't do it, so we send that back. Um, if you're subscribed to the crew service and you're using a SOC we're integrated with, you're in great shape. And we're adding more of the you know, top-notch SOC services out there as often as, as quick as we can. Okay, that's cool. So... What are the, yeah, so give me a use case or give me like the scenarios where this works really well, right? From a, 
you know, outsourcing from an MSP standpoint? Does it work with a specific size of MSP? Like, or does it, you know, once you get to a certain point, does it kind of not work? I don't know what the sweet spot is where your type of service really helps from an MSP configuration sizing standpoint. And then like the reverse of that, right? What's not going to work? What's like absolutely right off the bat? You're like, nope, don't even bother. We know we've tried this in the past. It's not going to work out for either of us. Don't don't go down this road. Yeah, we have some of those. Um, so on the most part, the sweet spot, I would say, tends to be between three to, let's say, 15 technicians on the MSP staff. We have a lot of one-person companies and two-person companies. Um, they just tend to be less mature in their operations and processes, right? And sometimes we have to help them with that kind of stuff. The larger the MSP, so once you get into 20, 25 technicians, they will tend to staff that in-house. They just tend not to need us. But even still, they might use us for one particular client or one particular need. Again, with the pick and choose, mix and match, they can really decide what they use us for. So because you can scope it so specifically, um, even a larger MSP can use us for a piece. But it tends to be something like that. We definitely require them to have a PSA that we can integrate with. If they don't have a PSA, much to your point earlier, with you know they need a PSA, and it needs to be one of the the PSAs that we integrate with um, because we want to be able to show everything that we're doing, right? If we work with the MSP's ticket, so they will see every time entry, every status change, every note, everything we're doing in their own ticket as we're doing it. If they don't do that, the billing isn't proper, the reporting isn't proper. They're wondering where our value is. They can't see it, and we don't want them using our ticketing system. They should have their own. Um, so it tends to be if they don't already have a tool stack, when I say that, I mean PSA and documentation at minimum, RMM would be really good. Um, that tends to be the minimum requirement for the integration pieces. Um, and just willing to not be in control of every little thing, because if you are um, and you start to use a service that we have our own SOPs and we want to work with yours, but you know we want to make sure it's a team effort um, as opposed to a dictate. Um, it tends to be a lot better when it's a win-win. Um, you know, we always say we're not a we're not a vendor, you're not a client, it's a partnership, and that's really the approach to go into it with. Okay, that's fair. So, at, at what point is there? And maybe I'm getting too far into the weeds, but <clears throat> yeah, it's like you're lifting up the hood of the car. That's, that's fine. That's fine. So, end users, yeah, like everybody else, right? They, sometimes there's good ones, sometimes there's not so good ones, and. Everybody has a personality and sometimes those personalities don't work well, right? They clash. So, you know, when you get into that type of scenario where, you know, like obviously <laughs> the worst case scenario is a customer calls and says, I don't know who you're outsourcing to, but either get rid of them or I'm getting rid of you, right? Like that's the worst possible scenario in this case. How do you prevent that from happening? Okay, so good question. And it, it tends to your point, it tends not to be, a technical conflict, somebody didn't know what they were doing technically, it's usually a personality thing. Uh, ours, theirs, or, or both, you know, you, you never know. But um, so two things, uh, if it's not a let them go, we let you go versus I don't want to work with this person again, because we pod our team, we talked about the pod earlier, it's easy for us to switch a person out. So then we're not changing the entire relationship, the client success account managers that you'd be working with over here, their job is to ensure your success with us. You would talk with them, just say, we need to swap with this person and consider it done. We never argue those points. It's something that we just figure is a personality conflict and we need to fix it right away. When it's let the company go or we're gone, the last thing that we want to do is negatively affect a relationship that an MSP had built 
and maintain for years. That's not the point of what we're doing here. Our job is to make you look good, right? When that's not happening, if that's not happening, again, you can always, because we're pick and choose, if it meant letting us go, let us go. But if it meant that just that one customer, you can always just have us not service that customer and we can keep everything about the rest of the relationship intact. Obviously, we hope it never gets there, but we do have ways to make it happen. Okay, cool. So this is, um, you know, I think for some reason, you know, you said earlier, right? You kind of, I feel like all good, you know, vendors kind of pop out, out of a need in this in MSP sandbox land. Um, but it seems like, I don't know, the options may have shrunken down over the last two, three, four, five, six years. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's because they've been acquired or they've, you know, merged or whatever, but I seem to feel like maybe about the time, you know, you said, you, you know, kind of following your timeline at the beginning of the call, like 2015-ish, there's, you know, between, you know, from then until now, I felt like there were more companies offering this into, you know, the, the ecosystem than there are now. It is, you know, I guess big picture, is it because they couldn't scale it? Was it just straight up, they got gobbled up and that's just how what's happening at the top end? Or like, why is that happening from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think, so we seem to be one of the only companies that's still standing apart from the big other publics or the pig or the big, uh, you know, emergent acquisition takeover stuff. Um, in the top three cases that come to mind, they've all been acquisition. Um, and that leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth when the acquiring company is not the one you want to work with. Um, and so we've been fortunate on at least three of these situations where they're like, okay, we need to make a change. Mission Control, are you owned by anybody other than yourselves? No. Okay, can you work with these systems and integrate with these systems? Yep. Okay, let's talk. And then that, those conversations really just go that way. So we've been fortunate, I guess, because of the M&A around us um, and we're independent. We're not owned by any of the big guys. We're all cell phones. So any, any concerns, like you did mention, like you kind of got, you know, kind of pushed along with the current, right? You know, first it was Autotask, then Datto, now Kaseya. Like, what's the story there for anyone that's concerned about that relationship? Um, well, I think you're you're only going to get introduced. To, so we're not exclusive with Kaseya. In other words, you don't have to be working with Kaseya if you're on. So just to give you an idea, for the four PSAs we integrate with, we integrate with Autotask, Datto, Kaseya. We integrate with Kaseya BMS, Kaseya. We integrate also with ConnectWise Manage and with Synchro MSP. And we're adding more like Halo will be added later this year and we're adding others. So you don't have to be a customer of any of the big guys. Um, if you're already in talks with your rep from company X and they recommend us, that's nice. Um, and it ends up being a family win for them, a family win for us. If you're coming in and you don't have any of these products right now, we're not gonna direct guide you in one way or the other. We're gonna say, here are the options you can work with and choose. Um, so I don't think you should have any fear of we're exclusive. We were Autotask exclusive at the beginning before all the acquisitions. And the acquisitions came and they weren't exclusive with us. We weren't exclusive with them. It was just, they pushed us because they felt we were doing the right thing by their clients and we were all having success by it. Okay. That's, that's, that's a fair answer. So like moving forward, you know, like obviously you've, you've painted a picture of right where the scales, is there certain, you know, types of customers that you won't deal with from on the MS on the other side of the MSB? Or is it just everybody's fair game? Uh, we we don't 
No, there's no niche industries or anything that we won't work with. The only thing is we do have a couple of restrictions on certain industries can't be serviced on the by device model. So as an example, uh, hospitality in a restaurant. I can't do the by device model there because 20 people will use three terminals. It's just an example, but I can still absolutely service that customer on our time-based model. So it's not a no, it's a, I just have to do it this way. Um, but there's not a single industry that we'd say no to. Okay. And then... And how does this work from a time basis, right? Is it a, do you have to commit to a term one year, two year, three years? Is it month to month? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So again, we're really proud to be separated from the group. So we offer no annual contracts. We're a month to month service with 30 day notice. We have no client minimum. You can have us work with one client or several, and we have no onboarding fees. We don't even charge just to get started for that onboarding process. So it's pretty good. Um, I'm not sure if I answered the question. Um, no, but that, that, that's definitely the question. Yeah. I know a lot of people, you know, just, I don't know, every, every relationship's new when you're going into it. We don't know whether it's going to work or not. Right. So, you know, a little bit hesitant to go into the, yeah, I'm going to sign for a term and then find out that, you know, it didn't work out. Right. Or subsequently customer disappears on the other side. Right. You know, everybody's billing slightly differently. Right. Yeah, it happens. So there's, there's no term here, you know, we have a little minimum to get started, but it's really just about, um, let us earn your business and keep your business. And, and it's really about, you know, having a, as low a risk as possible to try this. We don't have a free trial because we have to go through all the integration stuff, but when you're not paying to onboard and there's no annual contract to lock into, we feel it's pretty fair. Okay. That is fair. Uh, so Bruce pops in and says, how do you keep your text focus on clients um, when they get into a us versus them mentality? That's an interesting question. I'm trying to think what that means. Us versus them. Like I'm trying to yeah, like, yeah, you know, like Bruce. I don't know if you want to mute and give the scenario. The way I take that is, you know, texts are like, yeah, this end customers, you know, you know, an idiot, right? It's like, you know, like they're the ones that call in and say, hey, you know, my cup holder is broken, and they're like, what are you talking about? And they're using the CD-ROM or DVD players if they're still out there as a cup holder. I know I'm trying to be tongue in cheek here, but. You know, like bottom line is what if on another more realistic standpoint, what if the customer's like, no, just do what I say. And then the tech's like, yeah, no, I can't do that too. Right. Like think of it as uh, I need to install this application. Right. But maybe you have restrictions about who, you know, what applications get installed. And now you get into this, that scenario. I don't know if I, I you know, phrase that right, Bruce, but that's how I, that those are the two funny parts that I take it. Yeah, no, what I'm asking about is, you know, it, it happens just inside a, a regular MSP where like, you know, life would be great if it wasn't for all these clients that kept calling and blowing up my phone or blowing up my PSA, right? That type of mentality. How do you keep the techs focused on giving good customer support and good client support? Because you don't have like happy the, clients. Like the burn. You don't have any clients. Yeah. yeah. So, so I would say the, the industry exception mission control, the, the, the industry is... Um, the direct-to-tech model. And a lot of people like that, but I find two really large problems with it. Now, in, the, in a smaller MSP, that's almost expected, right? You might still have somebody who's your technical operations manager or service coordinator or somebody who picks up the phones and then uh, creates the tickets and then hands it off to a technician. That is more our model because the direct-to-tech model, A, you're waiting a lot longer to speak to a technician because hold times are longer because by their nature, technicians are not sitting twiddling their thumbs, they're working tickets. And the second piece is you're almost exclusively going to get a junior technician that answers that call, which might not be appropriate, which is just going to slow the process down and create frustration. We have a dedicated dispatch team whose entire job is to answer the call super duper fast. 
ask all the right questions, make the ticket in the MSP's PSA, and then based on the rules of whether we're supposed to service that ticket or not, et cetera, we would then work that ticket. That means the technicians are working qualified tickets that already exist, as opposed to taking in that initial triage, which uh, uh, to, to probably Bruce's point and several others that would agree with it, when you have the technician taking those calls and they get frustrated by the silly ones, that's not what we want, right? We want the technicians focusing on technical issues and that they're set up well to service them quickly. So that's how we deal with it differently. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> let me let me let me go down that road a little bit. Some, you know, sometimes burnout is real, right? You know, like, you know, <laughs> I, I I've often I forget what article it was. It's been been a little bit while uh now, but it's like mechanics. Lawyers, insurance agents, and IT all in the top five of most hated industries because people don't understand what's happening on the other side, right? You know, if you take your car into the mechanic and it's like, well, this, this, and this sensor are broken, you need to replace it. It's to $3,800. You're like, what are you talking about? You know, like that's the example that I'm talking about. So, you know, bottom line is it's a little bit of a thankless industry, right? Like people are calling you to complain. I often use the, the cliche of, like the customer service counter at Walmart. Nobody's going there because they're having a great day. Like they just want to get in and get out. So uh, I know that that's a horrible, you know, analogy, but I'm just painting the picture. So like, what can you, what do you do and how much is your turnover within your technical people um, as a result? But I think you that's a great point, which we'll parlay on George when he's done with Walmart or Kmart. Uh -oh. go, go ahead, Jason. <laughs> um, go ahead, I think that's kind of the thing though. So the dispatch team here, they're far more customer service oriented than technical, right? So these would be junior techs at the highest technical level. They're mostly focused on the client success. We talked about the customer experience earlier. Their job is a solid customer experience with the end result being a new ticket created in the MSP's PSA with all the details that everyone like issue type and sub-issue type and all those kinds of things filled out. So no matter if it's us or them to service it, it's good. By the time you reach a technician, if it's coming to us, we have all those details. It's just about, here's the issue solved. So I feel like from having that good customer service experience at the beginning has to be handled, should not be handled by a technician, in my opinion. It should be a more client success or client experience focused person. That's why we do it that way. Go ahead, Keith. I would say, first of all, when you talk about people that price themselves with the blue light, or purchase from the blue light more than more than anything. You're going like, do not expect Nordstrom service when you were worried about nickels and dimes. So when someone says I'm the cheapest, you go, you're probably the cheapest for a reason. Um, the other thing is, and I know this will insult a lot of your callers, and I've been known to do that in the past. We need to get off our high horse. We're just fixing frigging computers, right? You know, we don't know how to do the job our customers know how to do. So there has to be some mutual respect there. So a guy calling in, you know, when I hear people, I'm going to fire that customer. My first thought is, why didn't you educate him better? Why didn't you help him understand his technology better? There are no bad customers. There's bad service providers. Just my opinion. You know, I think you just need to, it's like, we just fix computers. No one's going to, if, if I mess up my job for an hour, someone may not print something. I'm not saving lives. I'm not ending world hunger. What customers want to feel, in my opinion, is that they've reached someone that cares and is going to find the resources to help them and, and is kind and compassionate. No one's expected to know everything. 
Do you agree with that, Jason? What's your opinion? I think there's a lot of what Keith said that makes a lot of sense. I think there's obviously, you know, you've got your instant gratification that people have just come to expect the now, now, now. And um, sometimes it doesn't go that way. Um, it doesn't matter who services it, right? Um, but he's, he's bloody right about not everybody's going to know everything. And people, I think, should have a little bit more patience if they can. There's obviously critical situations, right? When you've got hundreds of people down because systems are down, the intentions are really high. Um, but when a user can't bold their font in Word, no, it might take a little bit longer to service because there's a fire to put out somewhere else or that, you know, if they're dealing with a technical issue on a line of business application, it's very, very, very specific. It might take just a little bit longer and technicians aren't doctors. They're, they're you know, they're called the computer doctors, but they're people. Beautiful. Uh, how do people get a hold of you, Jason? Where do they find out more about mission control and what the offerings are or talk to somebody? Yeah, so I mean, I can put a couple of things in the chat here for sure, but uh, definitely if you'd like to speak to us, um, I'll be one of the people that'd be happy to talk to you directly. The email address is launch at missioncontrolnoc.com. Hopefully you guys can see that. Actually, I think it only goes to the panelists. Um, okay, they're listening. Launch at missioncontrolnoc.com. Yeah, you can obviously find us on the social media um, platforms, but uh, the best thing in the world is reach out for a conversation. A lot of these things, because they're pick and choose, mix and match, you end up being in a contextual conversation about the need. And need, again, is very different if you're looking to have support for a client versus a bunch of clients 24-7 or just after hours versus you just want us to overflow and you want to send us random things. Um, and we can do all those things, but you know the setup of that and the strategy of it is different. I love the strategy calls. Um, so I would say launch at missioncontrolnoc.com or just go to missioncontrolnoc.com, fill out the interest form, and I or one of the teammates will be Glad to speak with you about it. Hopefully you've heard some good stuff today. Awesome. Appreciate everyone. Maybe by the next call, I'll be a little bit less salty about the Super Bowl, but probably not. Uh, this session was recorded. You'll find it at mspinitiative.com under sessions soon. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us. Everyone else, thanks for jumping on. Again, Tuesdays, Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern time. And obviously we push these out there afterwards. Uh, catch you on the next one. Jason, catch up to the end of it. Thanks so much, Jerry. Appreciate it. All right, guys. See, See ya. ya.